fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Pile Wolfpack, what's going on? It's your boy, the Wolf of Rotor Street, RotorStreetJournal.com. We breed and feed you fantasy wolves. And I am thrilled to welcome back to the fantasy fullback dive, Mr. Pat Fitzmorris Fitz underscore FF on Twitter. The man, the 2020 number one ranked expert in fantasy pros accuracy competition. Uh, number one across the last few years. Newly acquired by the football guys, contributor to the football girl, and host of the awesome Fits on Fantasy podcast, Mr. Patrick Fitzmorris. How are you doing today, man? Wolf, great, great to be on with you again. Uh, we had a blast last time when we talked, and uh, really looking forward to catching up with you. Absolutely, yeah. It's you know again, we're going to dive into the early 2021 rankings. I know it might seem a little early, but at this point, it seems like everything has kind of settled. There will, of course, be some training camp battles, all that good stuff. But man, we're going to dig into a ton. Your favorite values, your your most overpriced guys, favorite penny stocks that might blow up, all that good stuff. So I can't wait to dive in again. Who better to do that with than the number one man himself here? Uh, before we dig in, Wolfpack, if you don't mind giving this a thumbs up, a like, whether you're catching the replay or whether you're live with us here. It's a free, easy way. It helps us grow and is so greatly appreciated. So please consider doing that. Uh, if you want to keep supporting what we're doing here, it would mean the world. So thank you, Wolfpack. But let's dig in. Let's dive in here. Before we get into those specific players and guys we're looking for, I did want to ask just of all the years, 2020, insanity. This is actually my first year doing the competition. So now I know exactly what it's like. And it is, it is a tight to, you know, heated race the entire way through. And I can't even imagine you know, 2020 of all the years, it's that much crazy, but you come out on top, man. Just in general, how does that feel? How does that feel to be the number one guy this year? Oh, uh, thanks. Well, it feels really good, actually. Uh, like, I didn't think it was going to feel so good. Um, like I wasn't, you know, ever before this year, really obsessed with finishing number one or whatever. I was just, you know, like always wanting to finish top 25, maybe sneak into the top 10 every every other year or something like that. That would have been great. Um, but yeah, as, as I kind of held the lead for a little while through middle of the season and then stretching late into the season, I'm like, okay, I got to seal the deal, man. Because <laughs> I'd actually led, I can't remember what year it was. It was probably like seven or eight, maybe six or seven years ago. Like I was leading a lot of the year and I just absolutely collapsed down the stretch. Like I just fell apart in like the last month of the season. So it was uh, something I didn't want to repeat. Didn't want to have another total stumble like that. And uh, luckily I held on, but man, Nate Jonke of uh, PFF was charging hard at the end. And I actually had like a good last week. I think I finished 10th overall or 11th overall. And like Nate had finished I don't know, man, like Nate strung together a bunch of great weeks and then finished number one in the final week. And like when you looked at the final margin, I mean, he was just a whisker behind me. It was like a photo finish uh, of a horse race where like, you know, I'm the horse that's dying down the stretch and he's just coming on like crazy, almost clipped me. So luckily I held him off. Uh, I felt pretty good, man. Not going to lie. 
That's awesome. As it should have. Of all the years, too. I mean, that was one of the craziest. Like, every single – you wake up on Sunday thinking everything might be all set and half a team is out. It just yeah. – it was nuts. So, congrats again. Well-earned, well-deserved. What a race. Uh, it, it was exciting there down the stretch. I had, similar to what you were saying, a, a bit of a collapse uh, where I was – I think I was right around the top five at one point in the year. And then the last month, I just, it was tough. Like I, I ended up finishing top, I think 25 right around there. So for first year, I was very pleased, very proud, but I was going to say, man, yeah, you, <laughs> you were in the upper like 15, 20% in your first year of doing it, which is pretty remarkable. I know you had a couple of great weeks where you finished top 10. Yep. So uh, yeah, man, keep up the great work. I appreciate it. It's, it's great to have uh, people like you to, to learn from. And, and speaking of that, what, what can I potentially pull from you? How, how do you do it? How do you consistently, because it wasn't even just a one-year wonder. It's from 27 to 2019. You're now Fantasy Pro's number one guy from those uh, that, that stretch there. And then I'm sure 2020 being number one won't hurt that ranking by any means. Uh, so there's definitely a track record here. What are, is there best tips, practices, you know, processes? What do you do that just helps you dominate so much? Um, for in season, I mean, I'm, I'm mainly just trying to track, uh, usage for the pass catchers and the running backs, um, just keep up on top of trends and targets, carries, snap share, um, just kind of get the feel of that. And maybe I play defenses down a little more than other people. And that's kind of something I, I took from some of the people that I consider like better rankers than me, guys like John Paulson, Sean Corner, Justin Boone. Like over the years, I've, I've looked at times where I've been separate from them on a, a player. And it was usually them betting on usage over a tough matchup. Mm -hmm. And, um, more often than not, they were right. If if I was on the uh, opposite side of those guys, they were right and I was wrong. So I've kind of been learning from that myself. Um, and then I think my secret weapon, and uh, I can say this now that I'm his uh, teammate over at Football Guys, is Dr. Gene Bramel is you know mm -hmm. such a, a great injury guy. And we have a lot of good injury docs now. Uh, my guy Edwin Porras is great. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, but like long before I joined the football guy staff, I was a subscriber and, you know, a big part of the reason why was Dr. Gene, his Monday injury rounds where he's talking about things. This guy just, I mean, a physician himself, he knows the human body and, uh, you know, like he'll know a player's injury and give this assessment and how many weeks he thinks the guy is going to be out. And then like the team will come out with this sunny assessment of like, oh, it's going to be two to three weeks. When Dr. Gene said, like, uh, maybe you'll be back in four, might be more like five or six. Like, Dr. Gene's almost always right when you see that. Like, sure enough, it's been like the two weeks the team said it was going to be in, like, he's still not practicing. And, uh, like, just getting that stuff in his Monday injury rounds. Like, I do my rankings on Monday. I like coming out with them, like, early Tuesday morning. Um, and, and sort of, like, knowing gene's take on whether he thinks guys are going to be available available or not and then being able to sort of slot other guys on different teams based on the expectation for the guy on that team you know i'll get a lot of questions on twitter like you don't think this guy's going to play and like nope dr gene doesn't think so so i don't think so you know and uh yeah so i mean those are just a few of the things trying to keep up on stuff throughout the week i guess um 
Yeah, and that was that was a lot of fun in 2020, man. Like you said, like so many uh, going in and doing like the Friday night or, or Saturday night ranking sweep and seeing like all the changes, guys on the COVID list. Uh, yeah, it was just crazy this year, man. Absolute madness. And again, congrats uh, on that awesome finish, Pat. It was just well-earned, well-deserved, the toughest year to do it to earn that number one slot. So best of luck uh, repeating it. If it's not going to be me, I hope it's you uh, going back to back, defending that crown, man. Very exciting stuff. Uh, but I know the people out there, they they appreciate the 2020 and, and how you did it. I, I you know, taken notes on to improve myself, but we know they really want to know what is this guy thinking for 2021 now? What's the most accurate man in fantasy from last year projecting forward? So I say we dive right into this. Again, I know things are going to change training camp. We'll talk about who we think could change big, but but let's dive in right away. And I love the one that you gave here for the name here. Your favorite single fantasy pick right now. I believe you wrote down Trey Sermon for me when I messaged you. What do you yeah, like? I did. <laughs> I did, man. Um, so yeah, like I'm not... I don't pretend to be the the best like evaluator of incoming rookie talent or whatever. Although my uh, another of my football guys colleagues, Matt Waldman, does like Trey Sermon as his like number one back this year, even above Najee Harris and Travis Etienne. Um, so you know they moved up to get him in the latish third round, and granted, third round doesn't seem like it's necessarily the the most aggressive move or whatever. But now with the, the lower price of running backs in the draft these days, I guess it does have to be considered kind of an aggressive move up, considering that they had already given up a ton of draft capital to, to move up and get mm-hmm. Trey Lance. So they saw the guy that they thought could make the, this Shanahan zone uh, running game work. And I mean, we've seen the historical track record with the Shanahan scheme, not just Kyle, but we also have to go back and include Mike. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, what it's done is is turn guys like Alfred Morris and, uh, you know, Devonta Freeman into absolute stars. I mean, I guess Devonta Freeman was a pretty good back, but Alf- Alfred Morris, kind of a jobber. And uh, Slayton, you know, I mean, Olandis Gary, if you're talking about Mike Shanahan. Yeah, I mean, Tatum oh Bell. We could go back. And yeah. then when you look at the times, well, I guess that Mike Shanahan got his hands on a truly talented back, Terrell Davis, Clinton Portis. Those mm-hmm. were the guys who were just, you know, anchors of fantasy teams all over the country. Guys you could just lean on week after week and, uh, you know, linchpins of championship fantasy teams. So if Sermon happens to be that kind of a guy, yeah, man, the sky's the limit. And, and the the downside, the risk is that he's just going to be a committee back. We know that's sometimes tricky with the Shanahans, that it seems like sometimes they like to rotate guys and not give us a good handle on who's going to be the guy. And certainly there's some other candidates in San Francisco, Raheem Moster, Jeff Wilson, Wayne Gallman, who they signed as a free agent, uh, Jim Michael Hasty, who's the other guy they drafted. Was it Elijah, Elijah Mitchell? Anyway. No, um yeah. Yeah. So, but if it is indeed Sermon, like right now you're paying a committee back price. I think I'm seeing him in, in best balls, like running back 32 to running back 40. And if you can get him in that range and he's a committee back, you know, fine. You're, you're getting what you pay for. Maybe he's got some stretches of usefulness, but if you get him in that range and he becomes the number one back, 
clearly. And, uh, you know, they've got a fantastic offensive line. Now they've signed Alex Mack. They drafted uh, the big kid from Notre Dame, whose name I'm forgetting. Um, yeah, if, if things click and he gets the workhorse role, look out at the price you're getting him at. Absolutely. And yeah, as you mentioned, you know, nobodies, we talked about the studs like end up being just the best seasons ever. Aaron Foster, another one to add to that list. I'm, I'm always chasing that next Shanahan back and it's burned me lately. I mean, most yeah. last year just got hurt. It looked like he's going to be a stud uh, and, and didn't Jarek McKinnon. Obviously we know the, the story those last few years, but I still think like it, all of that's kind of clouding people to how, monsterful like that's actually word, but just like literally dominant these running backs have been just yeah. fantasy season changers even the no names but especially the the big names and for Kyle Shannon to say that's my guy he even called when he was on the phone I love those pre-draft phone calls it was like we had to go up and get you uh we we can't wait to and everybody that that scouts saying perfect zone blocking scheme fit and, you know, before last year, at 12 seasons calling plays, Shanahan fed his lead guy 280-plus touches six times. So all these people, shenanigans, you can never know who it is. Well, if he has his guy, he does feed him. And it does seem like all that draft capital, all that suggests it could be Trey Sermon. So I'm with you. I, I love the price, especially the price. You said a committee back price. Like right. the, the floor is what you're paying right now. And the ceiling could be a, a league winner. So I, I'm right there with you. If you hadn't put him, I might've been saying him myself. Uh, I personally like Mike Davis a lot this year too. I know he's all the rage now that that picture, the, the quads coming out and now everybody seems to be waking up to the, this guy being an absolute workhorse, but that's what he was last year in filling in for C-Mac. I, I believe it was the top in terms of broken tackles uh, behind only Nick Chubb per attempt. The guy was an absolute monster churning going forward. He's going to be doing his best Derek Henry light impression under Arthur Smith this year. I Granted, he's not going to have the same exact offense when you don't have Derrick Henry, but you got to imagine. I mean, one of the most masterful run schemes we talk about, the Shanahan scheme, well, Arthur Smith mixes kind of like Greg Roman, a lot of power, a lot of zone, all these unique concepts he throws at the defense. And it seems like Mike Davis, also a very adept receiver, can handle them all. Plus, there's nobody else there. You know, most vacated carries in the league, both you know throughout the field, but also at the goal line. I just don't see anyone in his way to 270, 300 touches in an offense that, could really flip it around. I mean, they were bottom 25 in red zone efficiency the last two years. Meanwhile, Arthur Smith's Titans with less talent were top two in back-to-back -back years. It wasn't just like a fluke Ryan Tannehill had a crazy year. They went back-to-back -back in the top two. Yeah, that flips, that narrative flips. That's going to be a lot of touchdowns for the Falcons, and I don't see anybody taking them from the running back position Outside of Mike Davis, I like Jevian Hawkins. I think he could be a crazy blow-up guy uh, if you know Davis ever got hurt. But to me, it's his job. You're getting him in round four or five right now. Uh, if you can get a workhorse in that range and a, and a good offense, sign me up all day. Do you like Davis or do you think I'm a little crazy here? No, I I think it's the like I'm going to be watching the price carefully. I think like you know late fourth fifth round is is the point at which he becomes kind of a that's like the green light zone for him. Um, you know, as you mentioned, like he really popped right after the Christian McCaffrey injury, the first four weeks or so after that, he was terrific. He slowed down the pace a little bit yeah. and they started to work in, uh, what Rodney Smith from, uh, the guy from Minnesota university of Minnesota, uh, later in the season, a little bit. I mean, maybe Mike Davis just kind of ran out of gas a little bit cause they were yeah. riding him in exactly the same way that they rode McCaffrey, you know, given this 
slightly older back, maybe, you know, a, a slightly bigger back, not quite as nimble, giving him that same massive workload. And it seemed like it kind of took its toll after a month or so. So, I mean, I, I think he's going to need some someone else in the picture to kind of like ease the burden. And that's the funny thing you mentioned it. I mean, who is it going to be? Javian yeah. Hawkins, who went undrafted. Cordero Patterson, the converted wide receiver kick returner, who was pushing 30. Kadri uh, Allison, who you would think if he was going to be anything in the NFL, would have shown us some signs by now. Really interesting there. Um, yeah, so like I'm, I'm as long as the price doesn't start to get inflated where people see that situation and think there's no one else there, it's got to be him, and he starts sneaking into the third round of drafts, there I'm out. But late, you know, mid to late fourth, early fifth, I'm definitely interested. Absolutely. Well, diving into some more of your favorite values, Trey Sermon being your single favorite pick, but we'll go now position by position and pick out your favorite value guy at each one. Uh, and you mentioned Trevor Lawrence being one of your favorite value QBs uh, this year, the Rook. What do you love about this guy in year one? Um, I mean, part of it is that like his rushing, I think, is kind of underrated. Mm-hmm. Um, the Konami code is so big in uh like getting that rushing aspect from quarterbacks here. Now, I mean, we're not talking about Lamar Jackson. We're not talking about even Jalen Hurts, um, you know, but we are talking about a guy like Justin Herbert, I think, who can like add value with that. And Trevor Lawrence was surprisingly aggressive as a runner near the goal line, pretty fearless as a runner, man. Um, and it just doesn't seem like Urban Myers, the kind of coach who's going to, you know, be lecturing Lawrence for for being aggressive in the running game. I mean, if you followed Urban's offenses at Florida, Ohio State, uh, you know, we saw what kind of runner Tim Tebow was, uh, some of his Ohio State quarterbacks. Like, those guys were definitely willing to take a hit. Um, He's got weapons with DJ Shark, LaVisca Chenault, Marvin Jones. Mm. Uh, You know, they draft him a real nice pass-catching running back in Travis Etienne. And man, like I've just watching this guy Clemson, like I I have no doubt that he's going to be a quality NFL passer right away. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if he threw 15, 16 interceptions in year one, but uh, I also think he's going to have some big passing days, just like Joe Joe Burrow had last year. You know, I I honestly, like I think Lawrence is a better prospect than Burrow was and, and Burrow was lights out until he got hurt. Absolutely. Uh, and I mean, it's not like rookie QBs. Andrew Luck came right in. The guy that everyone keeps comparing him to uh, walked right in and was the QB 10 his first yeah. year as a rookie. And and we see Trevor Lawrence falling off and outside the, the top 20. That underrated Konami aspect is huge. In fact, we never saw Andrew Luck have a season below. Q, like that was his worst year at QB 10, which is just crazy. Too, too short of a career, unfortunately. But yeah. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence, if that's accurate, like if that's the, the right comparison, he could walk right into a top 10 role. You're paying half that price. Uh, so I love it. I, I think that's a great name to suggest. My worry is Urban Meyer because like everything seems a little bit like all over the place right now. But I think you highlight the the reasons why we should be excited about Urban Meyer, at least for Trevor Lawrence's value, is using those QBs running wise, especially near the goal line. Uh, it, it might not be – a lot of these like Chip Kelly comparisons, like, oh, he's just going to be a one-year wonder and fizzle out. Well, Chip Kelly had a pretty crazy offense that first year uh, with the Eagles. I mean, Mike Vick was a cheat code. Like it, Nick Foles put up huge numbers when he came in. So you never know. I, I see the Urban Meyer hate, but it might end up working in Trevor Lawrence's favor uh, either way. So I like that call a lot. 
I'm very intrigued to see what he does. My personal pick, I love Ryan Fitzmagic. I mean, who doesn't love Ryan Fitzpatrick? Like the most likable, easy to root for guy in the NFL. So you have that going for your fantasy team. I know you don't earn any bonus points, but it doesn't ever hurt to have a guy at the helm that you love rooting for. Uh, But well beyond that, there's so much for Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, that I love. I mean, the guy, one, has just been an absolute monster uh, when he started, you know, out of his last 22 starts, 18 of them, he's been a QB, QB one, like four of them, he's been top three. And this is with the Dolphins team with very, very few weapons for the guy. I mean, he moved to a team that was, I think, bottom 20 in pass attempts to the team that was the eighth most last year. He moves from a team that was one of the slowest paces into a top 10 pace. And then of course the weapons we were just alluding to, I mean, you add Terry McLaurin now for him. Curtis Samuel gets added to that mix. You have Logan Thomas, a top 10 tight end last year. Uh, then you add Diami Brown and no competition really added through the draft. I think that was my one worry with him. I was really high on him entering the draft. And I was like, ah, but what if they, there's a lot of these rumblings, they're going to draft a successor. And then is it a situation like we had two, with Tua last year? Always looking over his shoulder. Well, no, they, they went all in on Fitzpatrick this year. Uh, so I think, you know, that cements his floor. The ceiling is already insane as we've seen these last few years. I, I love everything about this guy's situation. I think he unlocks this offense. Uh, you know, they they have so much talent and they just were so conservative last year with Alex Smith and and rightfully so. Uh, But I think this is just going to be one of those funner, you know, most fast paced offenses. They're going to sling it deep as he always does. Uh, The fact that he, again, he averaged over 22 fantasy points per game in unideal circumstances, which would have been QB 10 last year. Now you move him to this better situation that could be a fantasy factory. And he's going outside the top 15, even top 20 quarterbacks right now. I love that value. He's going to be my QB two on every single team this year. Uh, I love it. I love everything about it. Yeah, uh, the price is right. I mean, you know, there are going to be a couple weeks where he kind of just lays an egg and throws yeah. a lot of interceptions. Like that happens every year with him. But man, he also like how many four hundred yard games has this dude had in the last three or four years? Um, yeah. So. You know, there's there's more weekly variance with him than with a lot of quarterbacks, uh, good and bad. But at, at the price he's going at with some of the weapons he has, and as you said, the floor with the confidence they've shown in him, like, this is your team. Like, you know, yeah. it took this long in this dude's career, and a team finally said, here are the keys, man. It's yours. Uh, that's pretty cool. Love it. I can't, I can't. And with that defense, too, I mean, they just real life wise, not fantasy wise. I'm excited to see what the football team does as an encore uh, after making the playoffs last year and giving the, the Bucks their hardest game. Like, I don't know. I, I could see them making some noise, probably not win the Super Bowl, but certainly providing some entertainment along the way. So I, I love what this team is right there. I, I'm excited to root for them uh, yeah. for sure. Uh, well, sticking with the, the Jags when we move to running back here, uh, you also like the, the rookie teammate of. Trevor Lawrence from from college there, Travis Etienne. What do you like about him? I know a lot of people have been bemoaning this landing spot and the comments about the three-headed nightmare and all that stuff. Uh, so you clearly are not buying into that if you have him as one of your favorite values. What do you like about um, Etienne here with the Jacksonville Jags? And that's kind of it, Wolf. Like that's going to hold down the price, I think, all summer. The fact that they still have – people are going to say, well, they've got James Robinson. Look at how good he was as a ro- – uh, as a rookie, they're going to have to keep him involved. They brought in Carlos Hyde, Urban's old guy at Ohio State. I, I think people are going to 
be able to spin that narrative all year that this is going to be a real sloppy committee and that ETN's, you know, not going to have a clear runway. That might even be true. I mean, it, it might take a while for him to get up to speed. But as we saw, like, you know, there was a lot of outrage over ETN getting work at wide receiver in this rookie mini camp they had a couple of weeks ago. But don't we kind of want that? Don't we want him to be used in the passing game? Uh, is is it a bad thing if he is seen as that like Curtis Samuel guy that Herb had in Columbus or as that Percy Harvin guy that Urban had down in Gainesville? Like, that's not a bad thing, man. Like, mm -hmm. get these guys the ball. I know that's going to be kind of a blow to, uh, you know, the LaVisca Chenault truthers. And I'm, I'm kind of one of them, man. I love Visca too. A lot of people thought he was going to be playing that role as the guy who could line up in the backfield, the slot, out wide, anywhere. Um, well, you know, ETN's got that same versatility. And, and this is a dude who, if he had come out the year before, like I thought he was going to, he would have been my number two guy in the class behind Taylor. Um, you know, I know his final season at Clemson was maybe a little disappointing to some people, but, you know, Najee was a big jumper. Like, I just don't see the gap between Najee and ETN that a lot of other people see. Like, I think they're right there together. But then Najee goes to Pittsburgh, where he's instantly going to be slotted as a workhorse. Uh, I think we're going to be talking about Najee later with a take I have on him. But, you know, the, the role we're perceiving for ETN isn't quite as attractive. But again, that's going to hold down that price. And like, I wouldn't, you know, I, I don't think they spent first round draft capital on him to, you know, give him eight touches a week. Like, I, I think they're going to be getting this cat the ball. And I think he's going to stay outside the top 20 running backs in the draft season. And, uh, you know, I'm definitely in on that price. Absolutely. I, I think it's, you nailed it on the head there is you don't spend that draft capital if he isn't your guy. As good as James Robinson was, and we can all appreciate him, anyone who picked him up on the waiver wire will hold him very fondly in their hearts the rest of their lives after the season that guy put together uh, as an undrafted free agent, often undrafted in fantasy as well. That being said, you think an undrafted free agent guy is going to take precedence to the, the guy this team spent the first round, traded back into the first round to go get – I think people are losing their minds there. And even if the worst case is a Percy Harvin role, like I, I know you said they're seeing him work out and people are getting upset about that. That's what I saw that. And that's got me higher on him. The more and more I saw that, you know, Curtis Samuel, there's just this track record under, under Urban Meyer of that role dominating. They consistently use him, uh, you know, Percy Harvin averaged 24 fantasy points per game in that role. Curtis Samuel averaged 25 points per game in that role. 25% uh, of non-QB runs went to Harvin in that role. 28% of them went to Curtis Samuel. And those were receivers first versus running back first. So I imagine that's going to be a significantly greater share for ETN. I, I love everything about the value you can get on this guy. It might take till mid-year. I know last year uh, when you came on, you, you were all about Jonathan Taylor. And it was so frustrating because he looked so good, just couldn't get fully unleashed. And we saw why we were both so all in on him by the end of the year. It's like, man, if this was a full season of it. Who knows what had happened? Right. So it might be another one of those cases where it takes a little bit. Uh, but if and when it clicks, I think it is going to be a, a beautiful marriage, that role for him. So I love it. I absolutely love that one. Um, my, my favorite values are big rebound candidate in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I think the the doom narrative has gone way too far. The fact that this guy is falling to right around 36 in ADP right now, so the end of round three, 
is just bananas to me. I have him uh, as like a late to, to mid even second round pick. Uh, I, I think it's going to be a huge rebound for this guy. Even if it was just the fact that he has another year under his belt after not having an offseason to learn one of the most complex offenses in the league, uh, the fact that we saw you know Shady McCoy as a rookie with very minimal competition, only have 945 yards and four TDs, and, and then blossomed and bloomed for 1,672 yards and nine TDs just by having another year to, to learn this offense. Uh, you know, that could be enough for me to really be just like, all right, bad freshman year. Yeah, he's going to rebound and as a sophomore, just be a monster. But then we look at the fact that, you know, they didn't bring back Damian Williams. They they released him. I know he wasn't there last year, but they loved him just a couple years ago. So that's a, a nice check in the, the confidence marker for me. Le'Veon Bell not brought back as well. So both of those suggest the team is ready to go all in on this guy. And never mind the huge, maybe the, but not maybe the biggest part of the reason why I'm so high on him is this line improvement. They were the worst at run blocking team, uh, 31st, so not the exact worst, but 31st. I mean, one of the worst uh, teams at run blocking last year, they go and trade for Orlando Brown, who was, you know, better than anyone on their line uh, entering the year. They go inside Joe Tooney. Uh, Kyle Long comes out of retirement uh, it joins this team. And then Creed Humphrey, a center, uh, a lot of was one of the best value picks. I mean, I've seen a lot of the memes like they've completed the last of the Infinity Stones for Pat Mahomes. And, and it's true. Like this line is goes from uh, – they were labeled by PFF as the second most improved behind only the Chargers. And I guess you can't really argue that given how big that Chargers line improvement was. But the second most improved line I think is going to go a huge way into just changing, especially those red zone drives. How many times did we see him get just to demolish before he could even get running at the goal line? Uh, too many times to count. Plus there was – Every single week, it seemed like he had a touchdown called back because of a hold or whatever it might be. So I think we're going to see a ton of positive TD regression in what will obviously be one of the highest powered attacks. I think he's going to be the true bell cow. I think we're going to get a lot of what we expected, maybe all of what we expected last year, uh, but we're going to have to pay a third of the price as a third rounder and not a first rounder. I'll, I'll sign up for that every single day of the week. Do you think he can rebound or are you uh, a little bit more pessimistic about Clyde next year? Yeah, you nailed it. Um like you have to like him in this offense. And it was like, I, I think there's this impression that his rookie season was this, uh, you know, big disappointment, but not really like, you know, he didn't keep up the usage. We saw him like in the first month of the season or whatever, averaging over 20 touches a game. And that kind of fell off to like 12, 13 later on, but he did get a little banged up. As you mentioned, that line wasn't very good. And, uh, all those upgrades, by the way, I, I think, uh, we also forgot about the uh, Duvernay Tardif coming back from the opt-out season, the guard. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, like I think the one thing for the TD regression to happen, and I, I think that probably is going to happen to some degree, like we need to see him get those goal line carries though. Yeah. We kind of like, he didn't get those after the first few weeks of the season, those started going to, uh, you know, Daryl Williams mm -hmm. Travis Kelsey, like they've got yeah, right, so cute. right, yes. Like Travis Kelsey yeah. was getting more cracks at the goal line as a runner than yeah. uh, CEH was, and we don't want that. Obviously, I kind of think that's going to swing back. I don't think, yeah. like you know, that Andy Reid has forever ruled out him as a, a goal line back. Um, yeah. You know, like he, he didn't catch sixty or seventy balls. He probably never will in this offense, but he definitely added value as a receiver and is going to continue to do so. So, yeah, like I think he's a real nice bounce back candidate. And the fact 
that people are going gaga over a lot a lot of the second year backs, but not really Clyde. You know, they're they're all in on Cam Akers. Uh, I think you know you're going to see maybe Antonio Gibson and Dobbins and Swift go ahead of Ceh in a lot of drafts. Yeah, so he's one of those guys I would feel really comfortable with. Uh, you know, middle of the second round on. Absolutely. Uh, I love it. And your your value pick at wide receiver, another uh, rookie who disappointed somewhat to expectations, but you must be projecting a, a decent bounce back here uh, with Jerry Judy. What do you like about this guy entering his sophomore season? I mean, I just like I watching him, it feels like he is going to like things just did not go his way. It was star crossed in uh, year one. And part of that was that I think he only had like 58 0.2% of his targets were actually deemed catchable balls, which is just preposterous and pretty yeah. damning for Drew Locke, you know? Um, so that led to a, a catch rate like under 50%. For a guy who's one of the best young route runners in the league, um, you know, that we saw it at Alabama. Like this guy is really good at getting open. Uh, he got open a lot last year. Mm-hmm. I think either, you know, Drew Locke's going to get better or they're going to put Teddy Bridgewater in, or they're going to possibly trade for Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> I think there's in some way, the quarterback situation is going to improve, uh, you know, one way or another. And I just think like his price is going to stay pretty depressed because uh, you know, he didn't really get it going as a rookie. And uh, you know, I, I just picked him in a charity best ball draft that my buddy Dan Claskins is running, I think I got Judy in the ninth round. Mm. And uh, it just kind of feels like stealing there. Like, if you can get him that late, you got to do it. My only two follow-ups on him, I, I love the player, love the routes, hated the QB play. But as you said, it can't be worse than it was last year, especially if Aaron Rodgers goes there. Good Lord. Uh, he'll go from, if you're getting him right now in round nine, like if Rodgers went there, he'd have to be shooting up to rounds like, four or five, like, yeah. but you know, so that could be some serious equity. Uh, that, that's a nice floor. Like I think that's a great price to be paying for him. My only questions would be, are you worried about the drops from last year? Cause I know a lot, there's definitely a few that hit him right off the hands. Um, and a lot of people point that out. And are you worried about Cortland Sutton's return uh, given his alpha status before he went down last year? Do you think he could jump him on the target totem pole? Or do you think Judy stays at the top? I think Judy and Sutton are going to be sort of co-equals there. Yeah. And uh, I think it's, you know, Tim Patrick, who's probably going to fall off the face of the earth mm-hmm. now. You know, and a guy who was getting a healthy number of targets near the end of the season. Like, I think, you know, maybe maybe Judy takes a, a slight target haircut, although it wasn't like he was getting, uh, you know, right. monstrous Deontay Johnson-style target numbers last year. Um, I'm not too worried about the drops. Like I never really worry about that. That was a thing for Devonte Adams. Trust me as a Packers fan. I can tell you about Devonte Adams drops his first couple of years. And uh, you know, it, it kind of made you tear your hair out at the time, but um, obviously it, it was nothing, uh, no indicator of, of future lack of NFL success. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm not too worried. Those are just the two counters. I, I often see that that route running that is just like, it's next level. It's, it could be top five in the league. So that's, and I mean, the Sutton thing is fair for sure. Like there is a healthy amount of target competition there with, with Sutton and Fant and KJ Hamler. But uh, you know, I, I do think like Judy is going to carve out his niche in that passing game. And 
Uh, better quarterback play, I think, is all you need for like at, at minimum, like a high wide receiver three season. I think like solid wide receiver two, a top 20, top 25 season is, is well within the range of outcomes. Not a round nine price. There's there's not much to dislike there like, right, uh, right. by any means. Absolutely. Uh, the, the wide receiver value I have is Robbie Anderson, who like, I don't think anybody's ever like, I can't wait to draft Robbie. Like, woo. But I mean, this guy did finish last year as the wide receiver 20. We saw him have his best professional uh, season of his career and now is falling to wide receiver 35. But I think everything in his circumstances has improved. I'm, I'm plus 30 on the ECR uh, compared to him overall. I have him right around 60. He's going, you know, right around 90 right now. And I just, I don't see why this situation isn't a repeat at wide receiver 20, if not even better uh, than his value, like for his value. He was eighth in targets and receptions last year. Now you remove 118 total touches from Curtis Samuel. Uh, that was second behind only Stefan Diggs last year. I mean, that's a lot of work that goes up for grabs. Of course, Terrace Marshall, he's going to slide in, take some of that work. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be 118 total touches by any means. Then, you know, Sam Darnold, you got to think, I mean, that is a big question mark. I can't sit here and say he's an automatic upgrade over Teddy Bridgewater. Like you'd hope he is. The team clearly thinks he is if they're going in on it. He certainly has a bigger arm talent at this point, but I do like the fact that they already have an established rapport. Now there was never a, you know, sustained dominance between the two, but there definitely were some dominant stretches. I don't know if you remember like at the end of 2018 where Robbie Anderson just like came out of nowhere, a disappointing bust of that year. And it was on most waiver wires then suddenly just got, you know, 11. I'm looking at it right now, 7, 11, 13 targets over the, the fantasy playoffs. And he won a ton of people titles because of that, over 30% target share. He only was behind DeAndre Hopkins in fantasy points for the fantasy playoffs that year. So uh, three-game sample, I'm obviously not saying that's going to be the 16-gamer, the but there is there has been a connection. There has been a rapport. And you got to think that Darnold is going to carry that with him, a guy that he already knows and trusts and has played with, that certainly just doesn't hurt his case. So to me, everything has kind of improved from a volume, from a surrounding talent perspective for a guy that just had his best year of his career and his prices is, is going down. I, I don't see it. Uh, do you have any thoughts on Robbie Anderson? Yeah. I mean, you make a great point. Like I'm always so interested in markets. Like that's what's interesting about fantasy and, and you know, the, the rankings, we do these rankings and how it compares to like the perception of these guys. And it does seem like he's going down, even though they lost Curtis Samuel and uh, yeah, they got Terrace Marshall, but might take him a little while to get acclimated. And it was really interesting, man. I mean, in, in the past, we had seen a couple of big Decembers from Robbie Anderson. He was kind of the fantasy Santa. Yeah. And then last year, he sort of popped early in the season and then the touchdowns dried up a little bit. And I think that maybe uh, that was kind of it. The guys that he, you know, the, the people who rostered him got real excited early last year. And maybe by the end of the season, they were like, ah, he hasn't really done too much for me the last couple months. But what was interesting was that Robbie, this guy who was always kind of considered this deep ball artist when he was on the jets like he became more the short route specialist and like DJ Moore was more the vertical guy last year, which kind of an interesting about face with those two. I, I wouldn't have seen that coming. Um, you know, like I trust Matt rule and Joe Brady. Like I, I trust yeah. this offense, even if I'm still figuring out what they're doing with their wide receivers, you know what I mean? Like I like Robbie. I really like DJ Moore. I still don't quite know how these guys are going to fit uh this year and and especially with the new quarterback coming in so um 
Yeah, usage is going to be the key here, but I, I do think Robbie at his current price is uh, a value. I agree with you. Very intriguing. Yeah, that, that is an interesting point, too, with Brady and Rule. Like, they had an intriguing first year. Not quite – I was so stoked about this guy coming in from LSU and didn't blow the world off. It wasn't like the next Sean McVay in his first year, but got to imagine first-time calling plays at the NFL level. Like, that's not an easy task. So if he only gets better, like, that's just another feather in the cap for why everyone could be better in this yeah, offense if Joe Brady improves. And this Robbie Rule connection that goes all the way back to college and, like, Rule, I Very think, true. lobbied – lobbied to keep Robbie in school when he was like in some sort of like, you know, academic probation or something like that and in danger of getting thrown out and like rule totally went to bat for him. Yeah. there. Like Robbie loves this guy. And uh, you know, like I, I don't think he's going to be disappearing from the offense this year. By, by any means. Uh, love it. Well, wrapping up with our tight ends. Uh, this was definitely one guy on my list of values too. So I love that we're aligned here and that's Tyler Higby with, uh, I'm guessing it has something to do with Gerald Everett leaving and some of those crazy splits we've seen, but what do you got for uh, Tyler Higby? Why do you love him entering 2021? Yeah. I mean, this one's pretty simple. Like the, the Everett departure, the quarterback upgrade from Goff to Stafford. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Higby had that amazing end to his 2019 season. Um, you know, just the, the last five or six weeks were just eye popping and it didn't quite carry over. We didn't see the dominance, but like, I think Higby is still a guy you could, uh, you know, play every week last year. And unless you were, you know, going against the Kelsey guy, you're not losing too much ground. Um, yeah, it just seems like there's a wider runway for him with the QB upgrade and, and the lack of competition. You know, I know they drafted, uh, Bryson Hopkins, the old lineman Brad Hopkins' son a couple of years ago. I don't know if he's quite ready for prime time yet, but you know I don't think there's going to be much competition for snaps at tight end for Higby, and um, you know very easy to see him slipping into at minimum like low end tight end one range, and I think there's potential for more than that. Yet he's pretty consistently going around you know ten or later at tight end. Uh, you know, you don't have to, to kill yourself to get him in drafts. And um, he seems like a pretty solid bet to me. Love it. Love everything about it. Just to illustrate like how crazy that stretch run was. He was uh, averaging over 23 fantasy points per game. He was on pace for 125 receptions on 160 targets, 1,510 yards and 16 TD pace. And there's five games played without Gerald Everett. Like, obviously that's not sustainable. It's not going to be the case, but that ceiling exists. Like we've seen it with a lesser QB uh, from Jared Goff. So with an upgrade, you know, I I think the Sean McVay offense could really get back to those levels of just dominating uh, and putting up just ridiculous video game style numbers with Stafford at the helm. And he's their bigger body in the red zone. He's the only guy there now. I, I love it. I love the case, that especially at the price. I think he's a, a big rebound after a pretty disappointing year last year relative to his hype. I think he rebounds big. So I'm fully aligned with you on that one. Uh, the guy that I like here, falling outside the top 20 tight, tight ends, nobody really seems to want this guy, is Jared Cook. And I get it, he's old, and there is a certain cliff that that hits. I, it reminds me almost of Delaney Walker, where like we all knew the cliff was coming, and it finally hit, and we should have got off a year early. I don't know if Cook's at that cliff yet. He certainly didn't show too many signs of decline last year. He's still bursting down the seams these last couple of years. He's actually... 
you know, second tied for second with Travis Kelsey over the past two seasons and tight uh, for touchdowns among tight ends. Only Mark Andrews has more than those two guys. So he's still a big scoring threat. And I think at worst, even if he does lose a step from that crazy, you know, four five rumored 40 that he ran at six, five, 250 pounds, like they, no one's seen it, but there's this fabled 40 that this guy ran. So he was once this, this ridiculous size speed terror. And I think he still has some decent burst. He was consistently going up and down those seams. Uh, with New Orleans, but at worst, if he just maintains that red zone efficiency where he's a big scorer, why well, I, I truly believe Justin um, Herbert is going to just take off this year. He's going to be that kind of Josh Allen, like Lamar, the guy that just kind of blows up and is a monster. And if that's the case, there's going to be a lot of touchdowns. If this guy really does throw 45, 50 touchdowns, which I, again, I know sounds crazy. I don't think it is as crazy as it might, might sound given what he showed last year. I got to imagine that that Cook's on the receiving end of at least seven, maybe 10, given his red zone. I love the fact that, uh, you know, Joe Lombardi, their, their offensive coordinator, was the QB coach for the Saints. He goes and gets his guy that he has familiarity with, a guy that has been used so creatively with the Saints, just how all their tight ends consistently are down the seams, deep in the red zone, out of the backfield. He's lining up all over the place. I, I think there's a lot to like here. Uh, never mind the fact that he's not really going even drafted at this point. Uh, you can get him right in the last couple rounds of your draft. I think at a landscape of tight end where it's so often just touchdown or bust, like you're going to get at least that good shot at a 50-50 touchdown each week. Never mind the fact that if he does still have that step, he's going with an OC that knows how to really use him vertically. So with a QB that loves to sling it deep. I mean, to, to me, it's just a guy that nobody seems to even consider that I am plus 70 spots ECR on. He's right around my top 100, and he's going ECR-wise like 160 or so. So, you know, as much as I like Donald Parnum as an XFL truther, uh, to me, I think this is going to be the Jared Cook show. Am I crazy? <laughs> no, I mean, I think that that would be the worry that, like, if if Cook suddenly hit the wall and, and they decided to go more with Parham, but yeah. um, th that probably seems unlikely considering how accomplished Cook is. And like, it's funny, we look at these per perceptions and I think it's that Cook was like such an underachiever for like his first four or five years in the league. Um, like people always expected more. He didn't really deliver. Had a great partial season with Green Bay until like he kind of got hurt. But like for a while, I mean, he was just looking like everything he was always supposed to be. Had, you know, he's had some really nice years since. Um, you know, he's kind of on my my personal shit list for that fumble in the uh, divisional round when, uh, you know, the Saints were moving into field goal range and could have gone up two scores because mm -hmm. I really was convinced that the Packers would have beat the, the Saints and uh, Drew Brees in Green Bay and, and thought the Bucks were going to be a tougher matchup. So I'm still holding that against Cook, but uh, I, I pretty much agree with you on the rest of it, Wolf. <laughs> moving on. I know that that was tough uh, for sure. But yeah, Tom Brady. Oh, speak, speaking of the devil, we're moving right into overprices here. The guys that you want to uh, avoid, and it's just as important to find those values as it is to avoid the guys that are going at a higher price than they deserve to be going for. And and the guy you mentioned, maybe this is partly snake bitten from the playoffs, and you're just uh, a little upset about the Bucks uh, last year, or maybe there's a good reason to be a little bit lower on Mr. Tom Brady, the goat himself. Uh, you know me, I think last year we had a conversation about Brady as a Patriots fan. I, I'm not overly bitter about it. 
I love seeing this guy still balling out at, at a high level. And I, until I see him off the field, I have no doubt he's going to continue to sling. But are you worried a cliff might be coming? Or what's your uh, concern with Tom Brady here as an overpriced guy? Yeah, that's it. We might have had pretty much the same uh, conversation last year. It's basically just the QB actuarial tables and the age risk at that age. And the fact that, you know, now at this age, 45, I think the only other quarterbacks to have started a game. Well, at 45 for sure, I think Vinny Testaverde, yep. <laughs> uh, you know, he started like six with the Panthers at this age. I think maybe Doug Flutie and Steve DeBerg had starts at this age, but it was like one, one start in the last years of their careers. Um, so yeah, Brady is like sailed off the uh, edge of the map here and is totally in uncharted territory. Obviously, you know, DeBerg and Flutie are not Tom Brady, different cat entirely. This guy takes pretty good care of himself. But, you know, like we saw Brett Favre, another Hall of Fame quarterback, you know, have that great year where he almost took the Vikings to the Super Bowl. And then he hit the wall at 100 miles an hour the next year. Like he just completely lost it. And, um, you know, we've, we've just seen that happen with some other actually good quarterbacks, Peyton Manning, his last year in the Broncos, like his team carried him kicking and screaming to a championship. Like that wasn't Peyton Manning, like bringing home the title in his last year. Like he was terrible that year. Mm -hmm. So other really, you know, top 10 all-time quarterbacks have lost it very quickly at a much earlier age. So that that's the risk here. And I think after what Brady did last year, people are not, like they're kind of blind to the risk and really it's not like people are pushing it too hard on ADP. It's what like QB 12, QB 11 now, like that's not, it's not going to torpedo you if he, he misses, you know, you can get someone else on waivers, but um, I don't know. I, I guess to me, it's just a guy who maybe people might go a little earlier for, I've been in best balls where he's gone like eight, nine uh, to me. I think there are better bets there than him, but you know, I can see the counter arguments with that. Brady's pretty much proven every doubter ever wrong about anything. So, yeah, that's yeah. that. <laughs> I, I'm going to be one of those guys that until he hangs him up or, and, and once I see that the crash could happen, I really don't know if we're going to ever see it with Tom. I feel like he might recognize like, this is it. What else do I need to do? I, I mean, what else does he need to do? I don't know at this point. Uh, the one thing that, that would worry me about fading him is, he finished last year as the, the PPR QB8, had a, a very solid season, second in attempts and completions, third in yardage, second in pass TDs. So uh, he did all that. The, the the argument against him, I guess, is the fact that he only finished PPR QB8 with such great passing numbers because of that rushing, the lack of any type of rushing ceiling. You know, I do hate that in my QB to have zero rushing ceiling at all. I, I get that. Uh, but what would worry me about fading him is, he had all those great marks and for, you know, half the season, three quarters almost, there was so much talk about how bad of a fit he was. The deep ball, Bruce Arians, you know, uh, no risk it, no biscuit. Brady's just can't, doesn't have the deep ball anymore. He's overshooting all his receivers. It just isn't a good marriage. And but after the bye, you know, whatever it was clicked, this guy went nuts. And we saw it carry over throughout the playoffs. It seemed like he finally, like they finally married, whether it was Brady took over, who knows what happened, but they finally got on that same level. And that offense just was dominant the rest of the way for, over the regular season and in the playoffs. And if that carries over and they just do that all season, I mean, he was the QB four in, in fantasy those last few weeks and dominant in the playoffs. It could, uh, it could be a, a, just a year of that 
unlikely, but it does seem like he, they finally found some ground. Uh, so I, I'd be wary. I'm on the, the train, obviously, again, as a homer, a New England. I, I'll never doubt it fade Brady until uh, he gives me a reason to. So we, we will see on that one. Uh, this one's tricky because I, I put for my overpriced QB, Pat Mahomes. Now, I'm not saying he's my number one QB. Like it, Anybody who doesn't have him at number one would be foolish. You'd lose your credibility. You're just trying to do your clicks. I'm not saying here Pat Mahomes is not the best option to have at QB in fantasy. What I am saying is I do not think he's this huge tier above guys like Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, uh, who are going about 20 to 30 even picks later than him. To me, I, Mahomes is right in that same tier as these guys fantasy-wise. We've seen all of those guys have cheat code, crazy you know, seasons, games, all that stuff. I don't see him being that significantly better fantasy-wise, at least, than those guys. But you're now taking him in the, the you know late round two, early round three, where guys like Gibson, Calvin Ridley, DK, Mike Thomas, these elite, you know, number one receivers, these huge upside running backs, you know, Hilaire, who I was talking about earlier on the same team, the opportunity cost at that point for a QB who I don't think is that significantly above a Dak who averaged more fantasy points per game, but goes, you know, 30 picks later, I'm missing out on, you know, a Thielen, a cup of Miles Gaskin. If I take Dak Lamar, who I think could really rebound with, with Rashad Bateman now there, I'd rather, if I'm going for elite QB, and, and typically the argument for me is just, I always wait on QB, opportunity cost, supply, demand, and I still probably would take that approach. But if I was going to go early on QB, if I really wanted that elite QB production, then I I would much rather take a guy around four uh, of a Lamar, a, a Dak, and pass up on a Thielen, a Cooper Cup, instead of taking a, a Mahomes and going uh, for going my shot at a Ridley, a Gibson, and those type of talent. So that's where I'm coming at of him being overpriced, not in terms of his position. He's still number one QB, but in terms of my big board and when I'm looking at what I have to take, uh, what I have to pass up on to take Mahomes, I think it's just a no-brainer. I will not own Mahomes in a, a single league this year if that price is the same. Am I nuts, or what are your thoughts on kind of that that argument there? He is my number one QB, but in overall rankings, I think I have him 39th in single QB leagues, which is early fourth round. So I completely agree with everything yeah. you just said. Yeah. Uh, it's just that opportunity cost. I mean, as good as he is, the best real life player we might ever see. Just fantasy wise, that opportunity cost is far too much. You have him right, ranked right where I think I have him at 40, like right where I have him ranked uh, as one of the most overpriced guys. In terms of running backs, I, I couldn't agree more with this one, David Montgomery. I do think we saw the ceiling last year, and I don't think we see a return. Uh, what do you have against David Montgomery entering 2021? Yeah, well, just, uh, you know, being a, a Packers fan living here in Chicagoland <laughs> behind enemy lines. Uh, no, it's it's more than that, actually. It's just, uh, you know, so he had the, the nice numbers. And I think people are going to be maybe blinded a little bit by the stats and forget the context. You know, he goes over, I think, 1,500 yards uh, from scrimmage and, what, 10 or 11 TDs. Um, but Tariq Cohen got hurt. They really had nothing else at uh, running back. Like they had Ryan Null, who they wouldn't play. So really Cordero Patterson was the backup running back by default. Uh, you know, they weren't real confident in giving him a lot of runs. So Montgomery was getting, you know, some of the, the biggest snap counts of any back in the league. Kind of the Christian McCaffrey usage, really. Yeah. Um, that's going to get dialed down to Reed Cohen's back, you know, to play passing downs. They brought in Damian Williams, the former chief. 
Uh, they drafted another back in the sixth round. Uh, so it's it's just not going to be the same kind of usage for Montgomery. And if the usage goes down, I mean, he's not really a breakaway back. We've seen that. Like, speed is not his attribute. So you're not going to get a lot of big plays. He made his bones on volume last year, and you're not going to see the same type of volume. So, um, you know, and granted, people aren't going crazy on him in ADP. It's not like people are taking him in the first round. His ADP is, what, in the, the high teens, maybe even around 20 or so. Um, you know, like, not not a horrible buy at the right price but i do worry that people are going to get out a little over their skis i i don't think he's like an early third round type of pick and you know given the running back frenzy that there is in a lot of drafts i think some people are going to be reaching for him a little bit and uh, you know i think there are better guys to to target absolutely i'm in, in full agreement there there's no way we see that volume with Tariq cohen back and if Tariq cohen gets hurt they go out and get damian williams who played under nagy so it's even in the best case scenario, we're not going to say that. Plus that happened against the ultimate cakewalk schedule. I mean, David Montgomery was so bad for the first half of the season. I remember on our like mid-year strength of schedule show, like he's got by far the easiest cakewalk schedule. It is a damn shame because who's, you know, what a waste that this guy has the easiest schedule. And then of course he goes and was the number one, like two or three score and running back with that schedule. But he benefited from that. Plus Nagy gave up play calling duties, which he has now since reclaimed. And all of these signs just point to me like that. Everything lined up last year and none of those same things are lining up for him this year. So I'm with you. I will not be having any of David Montgomery. For me, another running back that's right in that range that I'm going to be avoiding is, is Josh Jacobs. Uh, you know, last year, third in the NFL in carries and overall touches, 273 and 306. Yet he only finishes eighth in rushing, 12th in fantasy points per game, which, oh, yeah, RB1, well, why are you so down on this guy? With that type of volume, that's a dreamboat. If you give most players that, they're going to finish top five or six when you get the third most volume. But only top 12, he was outside the top 24 40% of the time, even with this steady diet of, of volume. That's more than he was inside the top 12, which was only five games, 33% of the time. Then you add in Kenyon Drake. So the volume's not going to be there, similar to David Montgomery. It's almost like the same argument for both of these guys here. The volume won't be there with Kenyon Drake now there. Everybody's saying he's not just a backup. Uh, Gruden saying we want him all over the field. So, you know, the fact that Jacobs only saw 45 targets last year, I don't even know if he'll sniff 20 targets this year with Kenyon Drake there playing more of that pass catching role. So I, I just have no interest in him. I, I thought his ADP might get to a point where it's like, all right, I can take a plunge at that point. But he's going around like Allen Robinson in fantasy drafts. Like, give me the target hog who's been a wide receiver one with the worst slate of QBs he's ever played with. Now gets his best QBs ever played with. Uh, that that to me is a, a no-brainer. I don't see how anyone could pass up on some of those guys for Josh Jacobs in this terrible situation. Yeah, you kind of nailed it um, about the usage. They bring in Drake, and as you said, that all over the field usage. That's what I was kind of hoping we were going to see with Josh Jacobs. But like, you know, they're using him like uh, you know your old New England Patriot Legarrette Blount, where it's like no usage in the passing game, just this between the tackles sledgehammer. And it's a shame because I like Jacobs. I think he's good. I think mm -hmm. he's really tough, man. Like this guy, you can just, you know, hand him the ball inside on these inside runs repeatedly as the Raiders did for, you know, stretches of the season and um, tough runner, but it, it's just like kind of a hopeless situation for him. 
Like there's not a lot of upside if he's not going to get the passing game usage. They're not really looking to get him in the space, get him wide. Um, you know, it's just kind of this one note usage for him. And uh, yeah, I, I kind of see the same thing you do. Absolutely. And I'm going to forgo. I see we're almost approaching now here. So I want to respect your time. I appreciate you so much uh, giving me such in-depth, great answers. I'm not going to say any more of my overprices, but I feel like we have to at least hit this one, given how much he's been in the news lately. And that's Julio Jones. So he's overpriced, at least as of now, uh, in your eyes. What do you, uh, it's tricky to evaluate because we don't know where he might ultimately be playing this year. But is this a situation where like, regardless of where he ends up, he's going to be overpriced? Are there certain teams you might reconsider? What What are your thoughts on Julio Jones this year? I mean, three things here, Wolf. Like one, I mean, and and the the lesser my concerns, kind of the touchdown thing that he's kind of turned into this Andre Johnson guy late career where the mm -hmm. touchdown numbers don't really match the overall yardage. And uh, like, it just kind of seems like that's a thing. Although, you know, there there's a constant Twitter war going on over that. <laughs> Number two, like, you know, the injuries have kind of started coming now. I don't know if they're suddenly going to stop as he's getting older. So that's kind of a risk. Number three, like, the fact that he's going to be this newsy guy, it seems inevitable that there's going to be a breakup with the Falcons and he's going to go to a new team. That's going to put him front and center news-wise. I think no matter where he goes, people are going to talk themselves into getting excited about it. But, you know, really a guy changing teams kind of already sort of late in the game. I mean, like he's probably going to miss whatever mini camps, coming for training camp, um, you know, getting acclimated. Like I, I think he's just going to be overpriced. Uh, based on sort of the newsiness of it. And, you know, the, the injury thing is definitely a concern for me at this point in his career. Absolutely. I'm with you 100%. I mean, we've already seen visible signs that he is well on his back nine with the injuries. Always something nagging this guy every year. It has been for the last four or five and the touchdowns. I, the guy just, uh, both of those points, very, very true. Is there a single team, like, if you got traded to that team, you're like, all right, you know what, I'd be in on Julio. Is there like a team you can think of that you're like, that would be it. You know what? I have to go all in if he goes here. Or are you just like, eh, it doesn't really matter to me. Somebody else is going to pay more no matter where he goes. Yeah, I mean, I know they already have Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, but going to the Chiefs, <laughs> you know, like because they do have uh, a vacancy with Watkins gone and they've got, you know, all these interesting candidates like Nicole Hardman, Cornell Powell, uh, Antonio Callaway. But like if Julio went there to that offense, like that might perk up his value a little bit for sure. True. And I'd have to probably scrap my uh, Mahomes as an overpriced quarterback at that point. If you give him <laughs> right, right. Julio Jones, oh my good Lord, that would be insane. Uh, well, Pat, I'd love to wrap this up as we did last year too. If you're uh, down for it, the no huddle offense, the rapid fire, uh, you know, quick gut hit name or, or players that come to mind when you hear that. You down to uh, rip this up with me like yeah, we did last let's do year? It. Awesome. So I'll give you the, the question. You just give me the names or answer that pops into mind. All right. In order, the first three picks in every 2021 draft should be? Um, McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, and Alvin Kamara. Travis Kelsey should go no later than pick number? Like, I still don't think he's a first rounder, but maybe 14 or 15. The next Mahomes, Lamar, Josh Allen, that later round league winning QB will be? Jalen Hurts. Mm. Veteran who gained the most value this offseason. I guess it's got to be your boy, Mike Davis. You know, mm. uh, with the situation he lands in, pretty hard to top that. For a guy who, if he went somewhere as a backup, would have been, you know, a, a total afterthought. 100% agree. What about the veteran who lost the most value? 
Uh, I guess he's a young veteran, but it's it's James Robinson for sure. Absolutely. The rookie 101 should be. Jamar Chase in one QB leagues and uh, Trevor Lawrence in super flex. The biggest rookie flop will be. Oh, man. Relative to expectations, I think it's going to be Najee Harris, man. I mean, like, yes, the workload is probably going to be pretty substantial, but the offensive line is terrible. Ben Roethlisberger, like, you know, we've seen his uh, average yards per target, like, dropping. Like, he's afraid to go downfield now. He doesn't want to take the big hits anymore. So that's compressing defenses. It's going to be a tough situation for Najee. I think the efficiency numbers are going to be pretty disappointing this year. Who's the current NFL player you hate the most? Uh, I don't know if I hate anyone, but I don't like Andrew Sandejo very much. He might be a free agent now, so I don't know if that counts, but uh, not one of my favorite players. The free agent who's going to crush in his new homes, kind of like Stefan Diggs last year, will be? No one to that extent, but I guess Kenny Galladay would have to be the guy. Early rounder, first first or second, that busts the hardest in 2021. Yeah, I'm going to say Najee again, man, because he's mm. he's going to get pushed into the second round of drafts this year, and that's too early for him. Who's the mid-rounder that ascends to the 2022 early rounds? <sighs> it feels like it's going to be Rashad Penny's time this year. I just mm. have a feeling. Whew. Oh, I like <laughs> it. <laughs> a late-round league-winning running back, wide receiver, or tight end. I mean, Penny definitely qualifies for that. Any other names that come yeah, to mind? Yeah, I know. Penny was uh, – you said mid. That was probably even later than that. But I got another one. Let's say Darrington Evans. Like one one Derrick Henry injury away from a, a pretty huge workload. Absolutely. What do you think is the most important training camp story or battle to monitor? Um, either that – 49ers backfield, or uh, I guess I got to go with the Aaron Rodgers situation. That's 100%. Critical. That's actually one of the uh, – in a second, we're going to ask you about that one. As a Packers yeah. fan, too, I really need to know your takes. Uh, but what is the sophomore running back you want the most and least of this enticing crowd? All right, so this is relative to cost, of course. Uh, I'm such an Antonio Gibson fan, uh, so I guess it would be him. And then, like, on the more expensive side of it, like, Cam Akers, I mean, I, I like him. I can see the the reason for him, but I'm not sure about him as, like, a kind of a late first-rounder. That's a little rich for me. Will Aaron Rodgers leave Green Bay? I don't think he's going to. And uh, my reason for this, the ownership structure is complicated. I don't think the general manager has autonomy to, you know, they've already chased off like one walk-in Hall of Fame quarterback, let things go bad, let let him leave acrimoniously. I don't think they want that to happen again. But, you know, he, general manager answers to the team president, team president answers to an executive committee that's got like seven people on it. Uh you know, it's not just going to be one person signing off on this deal to send a Hall of Famer packing. And ultimately, I think that's going to kind of bog things down. If he does leave, who do you think the first wide receiver owners should draft will be? I think you could argue either Steph Diggs or Tyreek Hill. Uh, for me, I think I have Tyreek Hill just ahead of Diggs, but that's like a coin flip. This is a random one, but who's the player you'd least like to fight? <laughs> Oh God, Aaron Donald. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's going to be a unanimous one. The more I think about it, like yeah, who, yeah. who would not put him? <laughs> oh man. Who's the most intriguing coaching hire for 2021? Oh man. I, I can't wait to see if Robert Sala can turn the jets around. Like, you know, Robert Sala just seems like such an impressive dude. Uh, but just dealing with the, the stink of that franchise, like, 
Can he clean it up? It's it's going to be fun to watch. You won't leave 2021 fantasy drafts without taking Rondale Moore. Had a big crush ever since I, I watched him at, uh, you know, I'm here up in the Midwest, like Purdue games his freshman year were must-see TV. That guy was just electrifying. And, you know, injuries and uh, the pandemic kind of curtailed it the last two years. But, man, if he can get that going again, the 2018 Rondell Moore was spectacular, and I can't wait to see if he can do it in Arizona. Took Ohio State down to their knees, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that did. Basically <laughs> single-handedly in that game, too. That was insane. Uh, man, you're, wrap up here with your boldest 2021 fantasy prediction. Go back to where we started. Trevor Lawrence is a top-five quarterback. In his wow, top-five. Love it. Love it. So we wrap up here is uh, three just questions about the industry yourself. So who do you consider kind of your role model or role models in the industry? I'm going to say Scott Fish. Um, you know, not just like, obviously he's a great dude who puts on this huge charitable event, the Scott fishbowl that, you know, has just become the, the, you know, tournament to play in the, the most famous fantasy football league in the world. But, uh, you know, just the way he conducts himself, he's a super good guy. I've got to meet him in person. He's, he's as nice as he seems on Twitter. And, uh, you know, like there are guys with higher profiles as far as writing and, uh, you know, bigger platforms. But this dude actually like runs a bunch of leagues and like does a podcast on being a commissioner. Like he helps, he greases the wheels for people to play fantasy football and, uh, you know, does it while being a great guy and raising money for charity. So uh, I, I really do admire the guy and look up to him. Love it. And what about an underrated fantasy sleeper analyst that you want our listeners to make sure they check out? Like there are so many good ones. Uh, like I've, I've gotten to know who deserve more exposure than they've gotten. Just like one is, is Dave Cabin for sure on uh, yeah. Rotoviz, one of the co-owners, just a, a really good writer, really great podcaster, super good dude. Um, you know, and his follower counts ridiculous, like 3000 or something like I I'm shocked. There aren't more people following Dave. I, I'll second that one too. I love Dave. Every time I've asked him a, a single question about like dev stuff, Rotoviz, like he just is so willing to share so much information and he's just a stand up guy. I really 100% can endorse that one yeah. as well. And while we just finish up here, why don't you remind our listeners where they can find you and your work? Yeah, uh, on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. Uh, you can find the Fitz on Fantasy podcast at, in most on most platforms Apple, SoundCloud. And, uh, you know, my, my rankings and written work is going to be at thefootballgirl.com and at football guys. Awesome. That's a contrast there of the names. That <laughs> that's that's right. I'm uh, the pan gender fantasy analyst. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, Pat, this was a blast. I really, really appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on here and give us such great answers, such great insight. Uh, it's always a pleasure. I look forward to it every time. So yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, I talking to you, Wolf. This was a blast. Thank you so much for having me, brother. Absolutely. Best of luck in the competition. I'm, I'll do my best to come for the crown. But I, You too, man. <laughs> you too. Good luck to you. Absolutely. Well, cheers again, Pat. Have a great uh, 20, 2021 season. All Best right, of luck, man. Take care, man. You. you too. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause, oh, 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 oh. and wave out to the crowd, and take our final bow, oh, it's our time to go, but at least we stole the show, at least we stole the show.
Old-fashioned football right there, folks. <laughs>